way through the prophets. We turn now to the prophet Zephaniah, chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. Who knew Zephaniah was a book in the Bible? Yeah, go look at the table of contents. You'll find a few of them there. <laughs> Zephaniah, chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. Listen now for God's word to you. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing on, as on a day of festival. I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all your oppressors at that time. And I will save the lame and gather the outcast. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you home. At that time, I will gather you. For I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I had a professor in seminary who one day challenged us to find a picture of a smiling John Calvin. Um, and I remember uh, sitting in, my, in that class, I always had my computer with me to take notes and online shop. Um, and I remember, immediately, <laughs> I remember immediately Googling smiling John Calvin and I got no results for it. Um, I mean, I did get some results. These were all like comics or like things that people had made just to be funny about it. But there are, uh, my favorite one, of course, is the one on this mug that I have from the coffee company called Reformed Coffee Roasters. It has a picture of a smiling John Calvin looking at you, and it says, coffee that chooses you. Um, <laughs> but there are no sincere pictures of a smiling John Calvin. None of his uh, painters who took his portrait ever captured him smiling. Uh, John Calvin, the founder of the Presbyterian branch of Christianity, was sort of known for his austerity, his seriousness. Perhaps why we have, for the last 500 years, bore the moniker, the frozen chosen. I think a similar question could be asked of the prophets. Is there a smiling prophet? Because we often find the prophets lambasting the people around them, calling out for justice and righteousness to flow down like an ever-flowing stream. They, we see them very concerned with how the most vulnerable in a society are being treated. The widow and the orphan, they are often decrying worship that is divorced from service to those most vulnerable among them. They often sit at the crossroads of major political crises. Is there a smiling prophet? I don't know about a smiling prophet, but at least this morning we get a joyful prophet. We see the, the prophet Zephaniah announcing to the people, cry out, shout out, sing with songs of joy. Sing because God is coming to you. God is removing judgments from you. God is renewing you in love, gathering outcasts, getting rid of all of the things that oppress you. God is bringing you home. 
What has gotten into Zephaniah this morning? What is it that causes him to, to sing for joy? Because let me tell you something, this is not the tone that Zephaniah has had throughout the rest of the book. The rest of the book looks like how we imagine prophetic books to look. Doom and destruction. Zephaniah is concerned with other things that all prophets are concerned with. The lack of faithfulness among the people of God, lack of concern for the widow and the orphan. And, and so it, it causes Zephaniah to kind of lash out a little bit in this sort of revenge fantasy. That he imagines that when God comes, it's going to be cosmic destruction and judgment. But then here in the final section of his short little book, he shifts tone. And forgive me, Zephaniah, but you're kind of popping the clutch a little bit here. Forgive me for having a little bit of whiplash. What is it that shifts him and causes him to sing for joy, to admonish the people to sing for joy? Baby Jesus. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves just yet. That was more of a rhetorical question. I was telling the Bible, say, there's a theologian named Karl Barth, and he, uh, the joke they make about him is, Jesus is the answer, what's the question? Um, that's a great Sunday school answer, Jesus. What causes him to sing for joy? What is it that causes any of us to sing for joy? Joy is, of course, one of the great themes of this season. It's one of the themes along with its sibling themes of hope, peace, and love. But, and I'll confess to you this morning uh, that joy has been throughout most of my life my least favorite theme during this time of year. And before you write me off as a curmudgeon or as Ebenezer Scrooge, let me explain. I think part of the reason why I've had such a hard time with joy is that we often conflate it with happiness that we are telling people how they are supposed to feel, that they're supposed to feel happy and optimistic during this time of year. I think what would be more genuine is if all of our cultural displays said hope, peace, love, and happiness, because I think that's actually what we're asking of people. Now, happiness and joy go together in some ways. They're both about this response of the good that has come into our lives, this this positive feeling from some good that has come to us. But where they diverge is that happiness is very much dependent on external circumstances, whereas joy is not. Happiness is when all the decorations look just right. It's when the Christmas cookies turn out just how you imagine them to turn out. Happiness is a Lexus in the driveway with a bow on it. Happiness is... Uh, is a chestnut praline latte from Starbucks every single day since the beginning of November. Happiness is when your football team wins, right? You all got to watch the Lions lambast the Broncos. And I'll remind you, that's following the Bears beating them last Sunday. But I think happiness is a hard sell in this time of year. Happiness is a hard sell as we have been making our way through the prophets in this season. The prophets who have always kind of speak against this backdrop of darkness. Happiness is hard when there is so much that's going on in our lives externally that can make us not feel so positive and so happy. Happiness is, is hard, I think, when there's so much stress that sometimes goes into this season. I, I heard it all when I said Christmas is just a week away this morning and you all groaned. There's this stress. It's especially stressful when you're the one who has to make Christmas happen for other people. I was talking about this with Heather recently that 
Christmas used to be so much more fun when you could just show up on the 25th and everything was all ready for you. But now that we're the ones who are making Christmas happen for our kids, there's this stress, there's this pressure to it. I came across a a meme this week that said something like, it's time to shift from normal stress to sparkly, expensive, cinnamon-scented Christmas stress. (laughs) And I think that we all feel that in a lot of ways, especially if you're the one who's making Christmas happen for other people. We experience that stress, and And happiness can be difficult because of all of that. But thanks be to God, the candle that we lit this morning is not the candle of happiness, but it's the candle of joy. And joy is this this thing that is deeper within ourselves, that is not so dependent upon external circumstances. The author, J.D. Salinger, who was famous for his book, The Catcher in the Rye, says that the big difference between happiness and joy is that happiness is a solid and joy is a liquid, that joy can sort of fit into any container, can fit into any circumstance. It is possible for us to feel joy when things are hard in our lives, when we are grieving losses. It's possible to feel joy as the prophets do against this backdrop of darkness and exile. It's possible to feel joy when you have all that sparkly, expensive, cinnamon-scented Christmas stress because joy is not dependent on external circumstances, but it sits deep within ourselves, and it's very hard to rob somebody of joy. But what is it that causes joy? What is it that sparks joy? And I love that phrase, sparking joy. I first came across it uh, several years ago now, when Heather and I were looking for a new show to binge watch on Netflix. This was back before we had children and we could do things like Netflix marathons. Um, by the way, you know those stickers on the back of cars at 26.3, like they sh- that, that sh- or whatever, that show that they run a marathon? What's the sticker for the people who do lots of Netflix marathons? Is there a, a sticker for that one? Uh, so we were looking for our new show to watch, and um, we came across the show Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Uh, have you watched that? Yes. Who's watched it? Oh, my gosh. Almost all of you have watched it. You all, that says something about where you are in your lives and where we are in our lives. Uh, So Marie Kondo is this Japanese organizational consultant, for those of you who don't know. Uh, She rose to fame back in 2014 with her book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Um, So in every episode of the show, we meet a couple, a family, and even an individual whose life has just become incredibly cluttered. Uh, These aren't hoarders. These aren't people who are in danger of having their homes condemned by the health department or anything like that. They just have too much stuff. Uh, Closets bursting with clothing. The the kitchen table is the mail room for all the unopened mail, which is how my kitchen table looks most of the time. Uh, Rooms that are, are supposed to have a function are just become storage closets, essentially. Um... People have stuff that they've forgotten about that in this process of tidying up, they, they find these things. And so every episode of the show begins with Marie Kondo going into the house of this couple, this family, this individual, and seeing it in its natural state, which probably fills a lot of us with anxiety and stress, the thought of somebody seeing our house, some stranger seeing our house in its natural state. I used to give my mom a hard time about that during this time of year. I would say, why are we cleaning up the house? We're lying to everybody. This isn't how we live. (laughs) And so she said, well, we're going to make the fake house. Um, 
And so she goes into the house, and she sees it in its natural state. And the first thing she does is she sits in the house, and she meditates and gives gratitude and thanks for all the things that are there and all the, the purpose and the function that they've served. And then after that, it's time to get to work. She goes to the closets first and pulls all of the clothes off the hangers and lays them on the bed, pulls all the clothes out of the dresser drawers and lays them there. And people are always amazed at how much clothing they have. Um, I think many of us would be that way. We, we complain about not having anything to wear, and yet if we pulled everything out and laid it out, we would have more than we imagined or thought that we had. And so what she tells the people as she's cleaning things up is she asks them this question. She says, does this spark joy for you? Does this item spark joy? And if it doesn't spark joy, then you're supposed to get rid of it. And so Heather and I have been using this process as we go through our sometimes overly cluttered house. We ask, does it spark joy? And if not, then we get rid of it. But this thing has happened, I don't know that Marie Kondo meant for it to happen this way, but this is how it's happened for me, is that I found that in this process of gratitude, this process of saying thanks for the things that I have that I'm parting with, that it also sparks joy for me. That gratitude is this essential ingredient to joy. It's a foundational piece of joy. And so Heather and I have started doing this, that whenever we get rid of something, we say thanks to it. Maybe that sounds a little strange, but that's what we've done. We first did this when we were moving out of our house in Kirksville, Missouri, in order for us to come here. Uh, I remember the movers showing up and packing all of our earthly possessions into the truck um, and then taking off. And, and then once the house was empty, this first house that we owned, Heather, Axel, and I went room by room and said thank you to the house and all the things that it had given to us. We said thank you to the kitchen where I first learned the joy of cooking because there was no good takeout in Kirksville, Missouri. I, uh, I, we said thank you to the living room where Axel's toys used to sit and where he would dance to the Thomas the Tank Engine theme song. We, we said thank you to uh, what was his nursery, uh, the place where we used to go with great anticipation of what he was going to be like, and then the place where we used to rock him to sleep at night, and um, remembering even those late nights where he was up for two or three hours in the middle of the night, but saying thank you for the room and saying thank you to the, what was the office where Heather earned her degree and where I wrote so many of those first sermons, many of which are burned and buried in the backyard. <laughs> this process of gratitude, of saying thanks, and it sparked joy for me, this feeling of gladness for the good that had been in our lives. And, and we were doing this not in an easy time in our lives. We were moving. We were moving to a place where we had no house yet. We were going to be living in a hotel and coming to a church, and hopefully they all like us. And all of this, and yet that, that process of gratitude in a difficult moment sparked joy for us. And we've continued to do this we've, as we've been cleaning out all of the kids' toys. So uh, Axel has tons of toys. He was the first grandchild on uh, Heather's side, so tons of stuff. And so we've been going through all of these old baby toys, baby clothes, the swings and the contraptions we used to put our children in that we don't need anymore, and... Um, and we were going through the toys, and Axel for a long time was a big fan of the Pixar movie Cars. Uh, he loved Lightning McQueen. He, uh, he had all the little cars. He had a little remote control cars. You might remember he had those Crocs, the Lightning McQueen Crocs, that were the talk of any place he went. 
Well, he's not really into Lightning McQueen and cars that much anymore. He's into dinosaurs and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and bugs. And, and so we went through the, the cars toys. We said, Axel, you don't really play with these anymore. There's a, a, a kid on Facebook whose mom's asking if anyone has anything they want to sell or give away that's related to the movie. Can we give those away? And he said, yeah, I'm done with those. And um, he said thank you to his items. And Heather brought the box upstairs and said, set this on the porch. Someone's going to come by and pick it up. I looked at it, and I was a wreck. I wanted to hold on to this version of my son who loved the movie Cars, who used to snuggle at night with his Mack truck next to him. And, uh, but I looked at the box and I said thanks. I think thanks for remembering all of the, the times we got to play, all the joy that was had, and it sparked joy for me as we said goodbye to these things. That joy is this important, or gratitude is an important part of what sparks joy for us. That joy is what sustains, or gratitude is what sustains joy. I, I came across recently an interview with the actor Michael J. Fox. The interview was actually from uh, January of 2022. And uh, Michael J. Fox is, of course, famous for his role as Marty McFly in the Back to the Future movies and for his roles on the sitcoms uh, Family Ties and Spin City. But he's been more famous in recent years for his battle with Parkinson's disease. Uh, a diagnosis he got back in 1991 when he was only 30 years old. Um, and so he said in this interview, he says he has these periods of prolonged darkness, that Parkinson's takes a lot out of him, takes a lot from him in a lot of ways, that it, he doesn't have the, the balance he used to have, and so he falls down a lot, and he's had broken bones. And during a recent period of, of darkness, he said he fell and broke his arm. He needed something like 17 screws in his arm to reset his arm. And so it becomes difficult for him, but he said what pulled him out of that most recent period of darkness was the realization that, uh, that uh, gratitude is what makes optimism sustainable. Gratitude is what makes optimism sustainable. And he uses the word optimism here, but it's, I think he's talking really about joy, this deep-seated feeling of gladness and positivity, that gratitude makes this possible. And here's the thing, if anybody else had said that, if some other celebrity who suffers not from need or want in their Beverly Hills mansion had said that, I probably would have written it off. I probably would have been very cynical. I probably would have said, what a bunch of self-help nonsense. But because Michael J. Fox said it, this person who experiences prolonged periods of darkness, because he said it, I stopped and paid attention. I think it's people like Zephaniah and Michael J. Fox who have experienced some of the darkest things that life can throw their way. This background of exile for Zephaniah, this uh, degenerative disease for Michael J. Fox, because they can talk about joy. They, I think they show us what joy is actually all about, show us the true power of joy. This gladness that arises from gratitude that sits deep within ourselves, that doesn't depend so much on external circumstances. What's gotten into Zephaniah this morning? Perhaps it's just gratitude. Gratitude for all that God has done, is doing, and will do. Perhaps this is what sparks joy for us in this season. It's not all the, the Christmas decorations and the presents being wrapped just right, or even the chestnut pralines every day for six, seven, eight weeks. Perhaps it is this realization of how God has always been there in our lives. 
is looking back over our lives and seeing that steadfast faithfulness of God, that that faithfulness of God has been present even when things are hard, even when we remember Christmases of long ago and, and long for them to come back, we say thank you and joy sparks within us. Perhaps it is this realization that God is with us even now at every moment of our lives. I think that joy is really a, a resistance to the forces of despair. That everything that seeks to drag us down, joy keeps us from falling into despair. One of the things that strikes me most in my job is whenever I do a committal outside at a, at a grave, one of the words that I say every single time is, even at the grave we make our song. Even in those hard places there is joy because God is there and we say thank you, and joy sparks within us. Perhaps what causes joy for us is sitting and reflecting on the promises of God, those promises that God will one day come again to make all things new, to set the world to rights, as the scholar N.T. Wright says. We say thank you, God, for the promises, and joy sparks within us. Wherever there are sparks of joy, there is light, light shining even against the backdrop of darkness, light that makes the way all the way to Bethlehem, to the child who sleeps in the manger. Thanks be to God. Amen.